So here we are, the last episode of the second series of Our House, a podcast all about community. I'm Helen, and over the last weeks and months, I've been talking to East End Homes residents, partners and staff about community and what it means to them. There's been some really joyful conversations and insights from people of all ages. We end the series with a conversation all about play, where we found out how residents on the Holland Estate in Bitterfields transformed a play space for the young people in their area. This project is unique because residents, in partnership with Eastern Homes, led on the play area and what it would look like, the materials they used, the contractors that they engaged, and the sustainability angle of the project as well. I'm talking to you on what has been recorded as the hottest week in the UK for many, many decades. So sustainability as ever, a big focus for everyone. We really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tim Elliott, one of the project managers and a resident of the Holland Estate, and Ayana and Mejabin, two young people who use a play space nearly every day. Today I'm here chatting with Tim, who lives on the Holland Estate in Spitterfields. Welcome Tim, how are you doing? Hey, nice to be here. Good, good to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've lived on the Holland Estate for? I have lived here for about 15 years, I think. Yeah, so just moved, yeah, moved in and started living with friends in one of the flats in uh, Carter House. Didn't really, you know, got to know some of my immediate neighbours in the first few years. But yeah. then as, as things carried on and more community things started happening, I just got more and more involved in the actual rest of the groups on the estate. And you're a member of the estate board, is that right? Yes, I I sort of joined that. There was some work that happened around the, when there was a demolition notice served yeah. on Carter House. So that was something that, for, for good or bad, mostly good in the end, <laughs> got the community together. So I got to know a lot more of my neighbours that weren't just immediately in the flats around me at that time. And But to be honest, I joined the the community board because lots of those residents had decided to get involved as well and also because I helped start the community garden okay so that was I sort of got pulled in after after doing that as a sort of voice on the board and did the community garden lead to the play area which I'd like to talk to you about not directly but I would say just because we'd sort of got more involved because we'd run that project with Paul we knew that there was support for things like that. It was obviously a bit of a an example of how we could work with East End Homes and, and galvanise a bit of a mixture of external project support, internal teamwork within East End Homes and residents all working together for different projects. So you could see there was an appetite there and when you when you first moved in you said you moved with friends but over the years you've really got to know your community. Yeah exactly I mean you know you start getting to know your neighbours sort of upstairs and to the side and things like that and then once I got involved in going to community meetings and stuff you just get to know people on the rest of the estate which obviously one of the things that can be said about the Holland Estate and the Brune Bernard blocks in particular is that there is a there is a really good community there so as soon as we started talking to each other we realised that there was lots of good stuff that could happen. So it's quite a nice warm environment, friendly. Yeah it's really nice, you, you walk out the door and you see your neighbours walking their kids to school and you know and even you know the cleaners working for East End Homes on the estate and everything people tend to get to know everybody and it's a pretty friendly place. 
Yeah. So I was going to ask you, how would you describe it? How would you describe that part of Spitterfields? It's great. I mean, it's historic, obviously, is the obvious yeah. thing. It's got a very particular character as a bit of London. I do feel lucky to live there every time I walk out and look at the church and all of the period buildings. Obviously, we're, we don't get to live in quite such a historic... I mean, it's still Carter houses, I think, nine, late 1920s. Yeah. So they're quite old buildings. But yeah, it's a beautiful place to live. And yeah, second only to, to be the, the community. And it tends to be people who have lived there for quite a long time. Mm. I mean, obviously that changes at the moment in that there's always inevitably the old house that gets used as an Airbnb or somewhere that's got students in and stuff like that. But I think it's quite remarkable how many people have lived on the estate for a really long time and know each other and have family members there and things like that, which all yeah. leads to a, a good community. So established communities that have lived there for many generations. Exactly, yeah. And you can't, once those things get broken up, I think, you know, it takes a long time to establish those things. So they're worth protecting. Yeah, definitely. And the last two years have been a bit funny couple of years, but London, certainly this part of London, is definitely feels Back, getting back to normal if you walk around the streets there's loads of tourists there's a, loads of tours going on graffiti Jack the Ripper as someone who's lived in the area for 15 years what would you say to somebody who's never been here before to go and have a look at that's not a usual thing for people that's a good question I mean the I think I feel like some of the the stuff like the Jack the Ripper tours, which has a there's a pretty mixed local opinion <laughs> of, all, of all that kind of thing. But the I think the architecture and the history of the area is something that's a really good thing to, to delve into. I mean famously there's the um, Dennis Sievers house, which is something that I think gives you a chance to see the architecture of those amazing old kind of Huguenot buildings in a in a in a context that you wouldn't normally get to see. The the museum of of immigration yeah and it's in an old it's around the corner isn't it I think again one of those buildings that was used at some point as an old synagogue yeah but I think given the fact that the building is in slight disrepair it's not open very often and I've actually never meant to go and I've lived here for a really long time so what does that tell you (laughs) I would love to go to that (laughs) typical Londoner great insight into because I mean if there's one thing that sums up the history of this area it's the different ways of immigration that shaped it and everything so and then there's the, the there's the house on again is it Fournier Street or the next one over that's now turned into a sort of arts and community centre, which has a really interesting history as well because it was um, owned by an art she was Italian Italian lady who I think had been part of the wave of the people yeah. re- restoring houses and stuff in the eighties and nineties, and she left it in her will to a commute or to a sort of arts and community group yeah I've definitely and heard it's, about been, well. it's been allocated to a sort of group of artists who are now running it as this kind of quite progressive community centre they've been quite involved in the in the Safe Brick Lane campaign yeah despite the fact that the area has obviously becomes pretty expensive over time and everything there are some really interesting bits of heritage and community work happening which yeah. is people can kind of tap into and there's I and I was just wandering around actually today and Petticoat Lane, like the amount of variety of food stalls that they've got there. And I know Spitterfields hosts so many as well, but you literally just have to walk a couple of streets and yeah. you're in a, in an equally interesting world, aren't you? It's yeah. That that so the Petticoat Lane one is the slightly more kind of real version of the yeah. market. And then the market one is the is the pretty fancy curated version yeah. of it. But yeah, I mean I guess that sums up the area in, in one anyway, you've got that mixture of 
creative East London and financial East London sitting on top of each other. Side by side. Because I always, when I walk towards your estate, I always think you have got such an impressive skyline. You've got buildings of heritage and history and then you've got the modern buildings yeah. as well. It's such a great backdrop, isn't yeah. it, for someone to live by. So you're really involved in your community, you clearly really enjoy it, you're passionate about the area. Can you tell us a little bit about your play area, which has been a great success, it's a relatively new project, already been shortlisted for an innovation award. How did it come about? It was an area that had, there was a play area there which had just sort of run its time. It was, it was pretty tired and so some bits of it had been removed for safety reasons and stuff. And given the general question mark over what was happening to the estate, it hadn't really been regenerated and so residents had been requesting something to happen for quite a while and then once there was a bit of new energy and impetus behind the estate management board it was something that we were really pushing for and so just to help drive that on and to show a bit of willing we offered to basically make it more of a community-led project and it turned it it did turn into a bit of a sort of test project for how communities can work with East End Homes. We hoped it would be a bit more of an example and given that there had been a slightly fractious history between the residents and East End Homes in the in the years prior, we were hoping that it would be one of those projects where we could yeah, sort of set a new tone of collaboration and everything. We went into it not really knowing what we were taking on. Yeah, because sure. none of us were playground builders. But there was a sort of bunch of skill sets in there with people that I suppose mainly I had done kind of project management and things so wrangling a budget and putting something creative together on, on it and everything wasn't it was they were all fairly transferable skills yeah so we we basically got a framework from East End Homes in terms of a budget and we worked out a brief one of the most important things wasn't just literally building something it was the way where we wanted to sort of change the, the mode of working was to basically have a different process of consultation with residents and have something that was really working out what people wanted and needed and, and to be able to do that. Obviously, what the, the good thing about it is that that gives you, as residents, a better understanding of the challenges that yeah. housing associations and, and other similar organisations are operating under because I think very often you're just watching from the outside and you don't understand why things aren't happening as fast as you want them to do and I think we've got a pretty realistic idea as the estate management board the members that are on there at the moment about the difficulties of it and there's a really good dialogue with East End Homes management now about what challenges they have in terms of you get end up with kind of wildcard things like the fire safety issues that came in the wake of Grenfell yeah. and things which obviously throw their budgets into disarray but it's really it's really interesting to be able to have conversations on a bit more of a level where you understand the implications of all of the safety requirements you have to have yeah. you know all of those things have a cost and a time output so impact so it's it does give you a I think having residents involved proactively in helping do projects improves the dialogue with a body like East End Homes because you just increase understanding on both sides. Yeah, 
and so kind of how long an understanding of how long the project's actually going to take and yeah. all the different longer than you think it is is the answer <laughs> but we're all optimists so we always think it's going to take less time yeah. Right? Yeah. but I know a key part of the project was that you really wanted the young people to tell you what they wanted we hope so yeah. yeah I mean obviously it wasn't a massive project and we knew the, the, the parameters we were working yeah. in there it was not a, a giant multi-million project so even if the list of activities and things wasn't going to really vary that much I think it gave a sense of ownership over it because the kids have been involved sort of from fairly early on, so that was good. And I guess as well, they knew something was coming. So like you say, the the previous play area wasn't in a great space, and I know East End Homes acknowledged that, and they, but there was an understanding that something, if you're a young person, something new is coming, they're involved in the shape and look and feel of it, and so they knew that something was on its way. Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest impacts that that cons- consultation had was that we ended up coming out of that wanting to have the the kind of rubber flooring across yeah. the whole space. Yeah, that's sort of, of that safe, spongy of, stuff. Exactly. The kids can run around on it, you know, play with... Because there are various things that we inherited from there. There were these big rocks and things like yeah. that. That we just didn't have the money to be able to move and change. And having that safety material, something residents, that the parents found was really positive. Now, it turns out that stuff is really expensive. Yeah. So <laughs> once we'd factored in, you know, that was one of the things that we locked in early on. Going, right, if we're going to put that safety floor over the whole space here, then that was a major budget limitation that we then had to be creative around, you know. Yeah. We didn't have that much money for all of the other play equipment, so. And did that idea come from the young people themselves or was it the parents? That was, that was more what the parents felt was a sort of positive. They had certain concerns because what had... What had existed there before, because it had sort of gone to seed a bit. Yeah. You had these rocks, you know, occasionally it had been used for antisocial behaviour, so there'd be some bottles there and things like that. And so safety had sort of, I think, if we were just replacing a player that had been used regularly, safety wouldn't have been as much of an issue, whereas because it had become a little bit seen as a sort of unsafe in people's eyes, that meant that safety was something that was a real priority, so that was just something that we tried to respond to with what we were doing. I guess nice as well that the parents could see that a new play was coming, but they felt quite confident with it and the shape and feel of how it was going to be. I hope so. I mean, we've only had we've had positive feedback from it afterwards, I think. And I know another part of the project was the sustainability angle about recycling what was already there. Was that because you've mentioned about cost and the fact that you had to creatively minimise resources or were you always focused on trying to be as sustainable as possible? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if we were... There were various things that we wanted to do. We looked into doing stuff in wood and because the the main body of the design of the thing was was to create these kind of concrete towers. That was basically a bit of a cost dictated thing. It was a material that we could create these big structures with relatively simply although I'm not sure we do it again but you know creating big one-off structures in steel or even in wood is pretty expensive yeah and then the only other option there would have been to just buy off the peg equipment play equipment equipment. yeah pre-made already and actually that's really expensive as well you know for good reason they're all they tend to be made in like not huge numbers and they're all one-off and it would just ended up looking a bit generic and we were trying to do something that felt like it would be designed for the space so we, yeah, we, would, we were being a bit more ambitious obviously didn't know how much work was involved at the time the, the big thing that made a really different factor is that we had a, a company come on board who basically they wanted to get involved with it as a sort of creative project Yeah. and so that whole area was not done for how much money it actually cost to make so I would, if, I would say if there's one, per, one 
thing where people are looking at that and looking at how much money we did it for. It was subsidised by the company that, that we made it with. Um, so they were interested because it was an opportunity for them to work on a community-based project that they, maybe that they may or not for them. done before? Yeah, community stuff was a big thing for them, doing something that was a kind of more architectural project. I mean, they came up with a design that has those the, the concrete towers that then responds to the skyline that you yeah. mentioned that's behind. If you're standing there looking at the play area and you look up, you can see the Gherkin and all of those buildings. So the idea was that we gave the kids a little mini city for them to climb around in and it was but then it was we were going to surround it with plants and stuff so they they had those two worlds that they were quite familiar with the city yeah. that they could then climb around like spider-man <laughs> so there was a bit of a kind of concept there that was trying to do something that was a bit more creative and fun than just buying a off the peg slide and something but the slide that was in the old playground which was something that we got out of storage and reused and everything so yeah there was there was a way to recycle bits that we'd from yeah. the old playground yeah so you managed to keep what was working and then update and you worked with special were they did they have a do play areas before your guys that you worked with that was that the part of the interest for them was that they had done some work in in a primary school so sort uh-huh. of like it was this uh, big project that was kind of play sculpture sort of thing so yeah. it was an area that they'd worked in before, but they'd, they'd never done just a whole play ground bike from scratch, which is why they were curious and interested in, in doing it. Obviously, that had a whole load of ramifications in that we had to, you know, it had to be cost-controlled and checked. Yeah. But in the end, what we've achieved there as the playground would not have been yeah. possible without it. It wouldn't be as unique and distinctive. If no, you yeah. no, no. So it was worth it, the levels of complexity. In, in the end, I'm not sure how much, you know, everyone, it took more time and more money off everybody involved than we, we were planning at the beginning. So, yeah. yeah, hindsight is 2020, but everyone's pleased with the result, I think. And also, I think any development or any building probably costs more than most people plan for, I, as is. I think it's true, yeah, if you're just, like, doing up your house, it'll take yeah. you twice as long as you think it will, yeah. But even, like, just thinking about the Elizabeth line down the road, which is fantastic, but, you know, just about everything that happens always is more than... We, we didn't go that many billions over budget, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it I bet Eastern Homes were pleased. Yeah. <laughs> All sorts of people were involved in the project. Your young people shaped it. You led it. Obviously, Eastern Homes signed off on health and safety and making and sort of procurement. I know the whole process went out to tender as well. Was there anything that you learned from working with your community on this project? Managing expectations is really hard because as much as you want to go in and promise something really great for people, Inevitably, you have to understand that people's understanding of the situation is not always that great. And so you might have really good reasons why something's been delayed or yeah. isn't possible or something. And it's quite hard to get people to understand those things. But on the flip side of that, obviously the one thing that you can always do is just is, is communication. So we tried to we tried to make sure that if something was yeah, was sort of delayed or something like that, we put signs up there in the play area. So it wasn't just relying on people hearing through the grapevine or on email or something, if they if they need want if they were curious and they wanted to know, we just tried to make sure that that information could get out to everyone and they can really understand what was happening with the project, because yeah, things don't always go to plan. So but what you can control is how you communicate with people. Yeah, you just said that there was just a constant good two way flow of communication to people, letting them know. Yeah, what it's was hard. Happening. It's really it is hard. Though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And what about the young people? Did you learn anything specifically from them at all? They're quite cheeky. They all still, they all still like, shout at me when I walk across the car park now. Um, they obviously feel very at home with you to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No, it was, it's, it's really good. They, yeah, it's a, there's a pretty sort of lively bunch of kids on the, in the estate and they're, they were pretty happy to give their opinions and stuff. And obviously, they will test things to destruction as well. Yeah. So it was it was a challenge to build something. That, I mean, hopefully, it was. I kind of pity anyone that eventually, when that thing has to be removed and they do something else, because it's got some quite serious foundations in there. So I, I'm, I hope I'm not going to be around to blame when someone's trying to dig it up and, and build something else. Um, so yeah, we just had to try and do something that would survive. Yeah, and it sounds like I mean. It, it's been positively received, hasn't it? So yeah, the one thing we really need to do is finish because of COVID. It really kind of messed up yeah, the chance sure. we had to try and finish things properly because we planted, we got some grant money to plant up with a whole load of British native species on the on the beds around it and things. Nice. And we planted a whole load of stuff, not at the best time of year. Yeah. And then COVID hit, and so it can be watered and maintained. So we kind of lost all the planting, and because of various factors, we haven't really one thing that we're really struggling with is trying to get volunteers to help do that who want to plant come in the summer yeah and summer's the worst time to plant stuff up really we need to be doing that in the autumn yeah so what we've never managed to do is get all the planting finished properly so it's the player itself looks great all of the flower beds around it look very good yeah moment, but need, it needs a bit of love the yeah. well I know that so many corporate volunteers, so much corporate volunteering understandably stopped, didn't it, during COVID and Completely. just coming yeah, back yeah. out again. So yeah. who knows, maybe you could persuade hoping, some I'm good talking, folk from I'm the city. Talking to, to um, Paul and hopefully we can get something organised for yeah the, the autumn because I think that's the best time. Yeah. We've sort of given up on it looking that great this year, but next year maybe. We can. Yeah. Today is the hottest day ever in London, and we are very lucky to be in East End Homes' cool head office, and we're also very lucky to be joined by Ayana and Mejebin, who are both young residents who live in Spitterfields and regularly use Holland Estate play area. Hi girls, how are you both today? We're okay. You're okay. I'm good. You're good. That's good to hear. And how are you coping with this hot weather? It's very hard, but advice just is to just stay at home in shade and relax. Fantastic advice. I think we're all going to pay attention to that. So tell me a little bit about your new play area in Holland Estate. What's it like? It's nice. I like the the spiderweb climb thingy because. It's really nice to just play on. So what do you like particularly about the spider climb frame? Um, that there's like also like pillars next to it where some people climb on it and we can play like don't touch the rope games. So it's a good space. And do you feel that you can, you play there, do you relax there? Yes. So you all come together. And what about you? What do you like about the space? I really like the spring. Because when you're on it and you go really high, you have to put your feet up and it's kind of like you see your feet touching the sky. It feels like you're flying, so soaring you're... through the air. Oh, what a fantastic description. So how often do you use that? I use it a lot because I live just right near it 
And is it popular with other young people your age? Um, yes. Yeah, mostly some people younger than us, but yes. Great. And I know before you've explained to me that it's an important space for everyone to get to come together. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So sometimes it's not much people are there, maybe only three or four, but when they're playing soon, more people come and they play together. And mainly it's on the spider climbing frame because there's a lot of space there and some people are on the swing and the, the slide. But yeah, it's really nice. Great. So it's a space you think is, is well loved by everyone. And do you have a favourite game that you play there? I know you said the swing is great. You've got your spider clone. Is there anything that you play as a group? With me and her brother, sometimes when we're there on the slide, we try to see who can come down the fastest. <laughs> and who's the winner so far? Us two. Oh, so you got the fastest time of getting down the slide. Yeah. And do you feel safe in this space? Yes, because it says no alcohol and no smoking. And that means that if, if it didn't say that and people came and if they were smoking, um, that would affect our bodies, our lungs. With no alcohol, if they didn't have that sign, it would mean that drunk people would come and they would be very um, dangerous around you. You definitely feel safe there, the space that you enjoy yeah. hanging out in. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. What was it like before this play space? What was it? How did you used to play before? Where would you go? It, uh, was, a, it was a really long time ago because for around a year, the grass grew and it became really tall grass. I kind of remembered how it was before that. I remember the, there was stepping stones and there was a, a really big swing. It was circular. Me and my sister went on there. And I remember now where the swing was before, there would be like three pillars um, and it would be joined up with kind of like a bunch of ropes crossed over. So do you prefer the play area as it is now? Um, I think so, because there's more things now, more things that I can remember. And it's really new. It is new. It's shiny and new, isn't it? And you've got your soft, bouncy floor as well. So you can yeah. jump on and off. So I'm pleased to hear that it's well used and you like playing out and hanging out there and you feel free on the swing and you climb it high up on the sky on the spider climbing frame. If was a piece of music that sums up your community and your good times in the play space. Is there a song that springs to mind for you both? Uh, for me, not a song that I can really think of, but a song that would be, it would explain happiness and the feeling of it. Yeah, I can't think of a song, but it would be like described as happy and joyful music. Is that how you feel when you're in the play area? Yeah. yeah. Of course, sunny there. <laughs> a huge thank you to Tim, Ayana and Mejibin and I'd also like to thank her mum who came along to support the interview. It was great to meet you all and it was also fantastic to see the play space in use and seeing the young people feel free, running around, relaxed in their environment. So this is the last episode of the second series of Our House. We'd like to say a massive thank you to all the people that make it possible. 
firstly East End Homes. This is a podcast about their communities, their residents, their partners. We'd like to thank Community Fibre, who have been our digital sponsor for this series, and our producer, Michaela Tramfield, and Sashane Dean for her digital media expertise. I'm Helen New, and I hope to see you again for a third series of Our House. See you next time. Nothing ever slows her down and a mess is not allowed.